Good morning. My name is Tim, and about a half a week ago, I completely lost my voice. I was not able to talk, and I'm about 50 to 60% right now. So it's, you know, this morning I've talked more than I have in the last three days combined. So it's going to be an adventure for all of us.、Um, so let's go. I mean, I think we're ready to do this. Well, I brought with me a friend. This is Ken. His full okay. His full legal name is blonde cropped hair.、Um, what's his full legal name? Blonde, blonde cropped hair, checkered sweater, denim shorts, white sneakers, fashionista Ken. That's too much for someone who just lost their voice. So we're just going to call him Ken for short. And、uh, Ken grew up in the church. Well, not literally, but maybe because any time the church doors were open, he and his family were there. It was a Sunday morning. Worship service, maybe it's a, a Tuesday night Bible study. GF Youth on Wednesdays. He served on the production team, so he was helping out on, on Thursday nights.、Um, serve day, Good Friday, whatever it was. Church doors open. Ken and his family are there because Ken's parents believe that if you place your faith in Jesus, it, it changes everything,、uh, and so they prioritize their life to be God first in everything that they did. They talked about what God was doing in their lives at the dinner table. They had conversations about Jesus with their friends and neighbors. Ken was viewed by his youth group leaders as the little engine that could. Anything that life threw his way, his faith remained strong. His parents worked hard to make sure that they raised him the best way that they could, and they were proud of him. He was on the right track. But somewhere along the way, somewhere, somewhere along the way, Ken started to question his faith. He started to have doubts about what he believed and what he was taught at church growing up. He wondered if the faith that his parents had was something that he could hold on to long term. But instead of turning to his parents or his trusted Christian friends, his small group leaders. With his questions, he 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 let the questions and doubts that he experienced crush him, and he decided that instead of finding answers, he he decided he couldn't go to church anymore. And after some time, he no longer was walking with Jesus. In fact, he no longer considered himself to be a Christian. You've seen this before, right? Uh, maybe you've seen this from a distance. You've heard about this idea that when people、uh, leave home, sometimes they also leave their faith, like they've graduated from high school and they've graduated from church, and they've seemingly left their faith at the door on the way out.、Uh, so you know Ken's story, but it's more of you've seen it from a distance. Maybe you know Ken's story because you're Ken. I mean, not really, because look at him.、Um, you're not Ken. But you know Ken's story because that's your story. In fact, that story is so many stories. Maybe you grew up in the church. You grew up in a Christian home. You grew up with parents who were trying to teach you and lead you and and make sure you understood what it looked like to be a disciple of Jesus. But you grew up a little bit and you just don't know what you believe anymore. You have questions and doubts. And you're just not sure about this whole Jesus thing, after all. Well, if that's you here today, I just need to say I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're Saratoga or Half Moon or Half Moon or engaging online, because the best thing you can do 
when you have questions and doubts is to keep showing up, to keep leaning in, to keep seeking truth. So maybe you know Ken's story because you've seen it from a distance, you've heard of it. Maybe you know Ken's story because you're Ken, but maybe, maybe you know Ken's story because Ken is one of your kids. Like, you made sure that your kids knew the gospel. You tried so hard to make sure that they were, they were raised in the faith, that whenever the church doors were open, they were there. You talked about Jesus at the dinner table. You had them memorize the Bible verses, and, and they, you prayed for them like crazy. You even held on to verses like Proverbs 22, verse 6, which says this. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. So as, as long as you train them well, as long as you lead them well and disciple them well, if you, if you start them off right, they're all set. They're good to go. As long as I've raised my kids in a godly home, they're going to grow up to be godly kids, Right? but maybe your Ken has left home. And when he left home, he moved out of the house. He started his own life. He's now far from God. And there's this disconnect between what you read in the Bible, Proverbs 22, 6, and what you have experienced. How can the Bible say one thing when it doesn't always work out the way that we think it should? So as Ken's parents, you're holding on to this tension between what you believe the Bible says and what you see firsthand. How can you make sense of this? Should you hold on to, to hope that Ken will eventually come back to faith? Or is all hope lost? What do we even do? Well, we're starting this brand new series today, and over the next uh, four to five weeks, the campus pastors, uh, Isaac from Saratoga, Matt here from Latham, and myself from Half Moon, along with our director of central operations, Tim Kong, we're going to be diving into conversations like this in a message series that we're calling fan fiction. You may have heard that term before, fan fiction. According to Google, fan fiction is fiction written by the fan of and featuring characters from a particular TV series, movie, or book. So fan fiction are stories that are involving popular characters that are written by fans and usually posted to the internet. Another way to put it, fan fiction is like the story, the original story, but it's not written by the original author. In fact, it's written by someone who isn't even, even authorized or close to the author at all. It's just simply written by a fan. So while it may seem legit, it might have the themes of the original story in it. It's completely unauthorized. And when I started to research this series, I had no idea how popular fan fiction really is. Here's an example. According to one website, the Avengers movies have roughly 50,300 works of fan fiction written and posted online. That's a whole lot. Uh, and then there's the Star Wars sagas, uh, 56,600 works of fan fiction written and posted. Well, that's not the winner by far. 
the one that takes the cake is Harry Potter. And that comes in at a whopping 834,000 works of fan fiction written and posted by fans. So fan fiction are stories that are written using characters, settings, and themes of the original work, but aren't actually part of the original work at all. Now, people, believe it or not, do this with the Bible as well. Uh, it's not like taking an original story and making it fiction, like 100% fiction. Uh, it, it's not like this. After Daniel made it out of the lion's den alive, he took his superhuman lion-taming strength to the test in the final frontier of the new upcoming novel called Daniel and the Martian's Den. That's not what we're talking about when we call fan fiction in the Bible. Although, if you want to write that, I would totally read it. It would be amazing. Please, please someone make it happen. The version of fan fiction people do with the Bible are things like this. Talk, taking a verse out of context to make it say something that it actually doesn't say. Saying something that sounds right, but when investigated, doesn't match up with the actual truths of Scripture. It might use the language of Scripture. It might use a theme that the Bible has, but it's not actually biblical. Biblical fan fiction essentially is bringing human wisdom and human claims and promoting it as biblical truth. So for today and for the rest of this month, we're going to look at these things that we believe get promoted as biblical truths, but are in fact fan fiction. The idea for this series, uh, an idea for a lot of the weeks this series, is, comes from a book written by a pastor and author named Larry Osborne. He wrote a book called 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe. I, I love that title, but we decided fan fiction sounds a little bit better for us. But in his book, Larry Osborne dismantles some of the notions, some of the common myths believed by well-meaning Christians today. And one of those myths comes from Proverbs 22, verse 6. And it's this. A godly home guarantees godly kids. I mean, based on Proverbs 22, 6, shouldn't that be the case? It sounds like it should be right. It seems legit. Pastors and authors have talked about it like this, like it's biblical fact that a godly home will, will guarantee godly kids. But it's not coming from the original source. It's fan fiction. Okay, but what about Proverbs 22.6? Uh, let me read it again. Start children off in the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Uh, most people seem to think that this verse promises that a child raised correctly, raised in a home that puts God first, raised to know the truths of the gospel, is set for life. And even if they walk away from the church and their faith, that there's this promise that they will come back eventually. But that's not what this proverb promises. In fact, I think we should go here, proverbs aren't promises at all. Uh, the book of Proverbs that I have in my Bible, the book of Proverbs that you have in your Bible is a collection of writings written by an ancient king of Israel named Solomon. He was known to be the wisest man who ever lived. And Solomon took this God-given wisdom and he wrote it down in statements of wisdom or Proverbs. In fact, if you Google the word proverb, 
uh, you'll find this. A proverb is a short, pithy saying stating a general truth or piece of advice. There's nothing in that definition that says the word promise. You see, promises are absolute. Okay, in fact, in my house, I have two kids, and when my wife or I say we promise to do something, like, oh, we promise you'll get dessert after dinner, or we promise after church we'll go to Stewart's and get ice cream. My eight-year-old son loves to say this. Well, you know, Dad, a promise is a promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wants my wife and I to know that you said it, you said you promise. That's good as gold. There's no wiggle room. There's no way out. We're taking it to the bank. A promise is a promise. It's a done deal. And when God makes promises, they come through. And there's promise after promise found in Scripture, in God's Word, like, I will be with you always, and I'm coming soon. God's promises have always come through and will always come true. And you can take that to the bank. But a proverb is not a promise. A proverb, what we see in our, our book of Proverbs, it's a collection of wise statements. I have this working definition that I'll use for us today uh, when, I, when we're talking about Proverbs. Proverbs are generally true principles that have been tested over time and summarized to help people navigate wisely in life. I'll read that one more time. Proverbs are generally true principles that have been tested over time and summarized to help people navigate wisely in life. So our book of Proverbs that we have in the Bible is not full of promises. It's full of God-inspired observations of life that have been tested over time, that have been summarized to help people navigate wisely. It is a book of wisdom, not a book of promises. And we can note this to be the case because there are plenty of Proverbs that we know aren't always true to the human experience. See, if Proverbs were promises, the righteous would always win. Doesn't matter what we're playing. The wicked would never succeed. The diligent couldn't be down, or the, the, the diligent, yeah, couldn't be down and out. The lazy would never get what they wanted. But they do. And, and that that's not enough. There's one proverb that I believe shows us that proverbs aren't promises better than all the rest. It's Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7. And it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Uh, when you're doing everything according to God's will, if you please God in everything that you do, you won't have any enemies. That sounds good, right? But what happens when we hold that up against 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, which says this, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Well, shoot. <laughs> Either Solomon is wrong or Paul is wrong. What do we do with that? And then there's Jesus. There's always Jesus, right? No person pleased the Lord more than Jesus. He literally was perfect and did his Father's will to a T. 
and he was hated by his enemies to the point where they killed him, right? So Jesus himself with his perfect life shows us that Proverbs aren't promises. I hope you understand that. Because if we believe that Proverbs 22.6 is a promise, we will quickly believe that a godly home guarantees godly kids. And that's, just, that's not just untrue, it's actually spiritually dangerous. You see, if we buy into it, we've become vulnerable to two things that are not part of God's plan for us. And that's unwarranted guilt and foolish pride. See, when we believe that Proverbs 22.6 is a promise, it produces unwarranted guilt. So Sally, we'll just take Sally. Sally's a single mom of two adult children. As they were kids, uh, Sally would raise them. They went, went to church. Every time the church doors were open, they were there. They talked about what God was doing in their life at home. And she tried to model for them the best that she could to live as a Christ follower. And luckily, both of her kids are still walking with Christ. And now her kids have a, kids of their own, and they're continuing their legacy of faith that Sally began in their family, what she worked so hard for and prayed so hard for. And then <clears throat> there's Renee and Michael. They're also parents of two adult children. One of them may have been Ken. We don't know for sure. Uh, but as their kids were growing up, uh, they made sure that every time the church doors were open, they were there. They talked about Jesus at home. They talked about what the gospel was all about and made sure their kids were walking with Jesus and responded to the gospel with their lives. But unlike Sally's kids, both children, maybe Ken included, walked away from the church and their faith as young adults. Now, if we believe Proverbs 22.6 is a promise, and we believe that if we raise kids up in a godly home and it guarantees that we'll have godly kids, then somewhere along the line, Renee and Michael messed up. They really did something wrong in their parenting. Could you imagine the guilt that they would be feeling if they thought that that was true? But their wayward kids are not proof that they failed as parents. Any shame or guilt that they experienced is unwarranted and doesn't belong. And if you're here today, or at one of our campuses, engaged online, and you have kids that have walked away from faith, hear this. The decision of your children to engage in the Christian faith is not and should not be a reflection of your parenting. Any feelings of guilt, anger, frustration, embarrassment, or shame are not from God but what if I did it better? What if I just did a better job at raising my, parents, my kids and I, I just, I could have done this differently. No, 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 no. You see, if the environment that a child is raised in is the distinguishing factor in whether or not they're walking with Jesus as an adult, then we would all just be in the Garden of Eden today with Adam and Eve enjoying an ice beverage on a Sunday afternoon, petting lions, Seriously, uh, the fall of Adam and Eve should put to bed the idea that environments control outcomes. It doesn't get much better and more perfect than the environment of Eden with the perfect parenting of 
God. And even if you haven't been around church that long, you know what happens to Adam and Eve. Uh, You've probably heard it. They disobeyed, they rebelled, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It can happen anywhere. Rebellion can happen even in the best of Christian homes with the most intentional parenting. And ever since then, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, we've been marked by sinful nature. So our current reality is all have sinned. All have a rebellious nature in us. And there's no way that our environment alone can determine if we have a resilient, lasting faith. Parents, I hope you can take a deep breath of that. Give it your best shot and then go take a nap. And if you've given it your best shot and your kids are out of the home, go take a long, long nap. Because the guilt that you may have, the worry that you may experience as a parent does not belong. So if we believe Proverbs 22, 6 is a promise, it can produce unwarranted guilt. At the same time, if we believe Proverbs 22, 6 is a promise, it can produce foolish pride. Let me tell you what I mean by that. If you happen to be a parent or become a parent who turns out you have perfect kids, they're loving, they're caring, they're following Jesus, it can be really easy to become prideful in our parenting. Oh, Ken's following Jesus. He did a great, he's, he's a great Christian. I've done a great job as a parent. What is everyone else doing so wrong? Man, well, when our child is naturally easygoing and compliant, it's not hard to see why we'd like to take credit because anything that turns out well in our lives, we're quick to think that we had something to do with it. What we see here, actually, here is I didn't tell you where to go. Uh, here, in Proverbs twenty-two thirty-one, 31, I, I love this verse. I love this wise statement. It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. I love that. Because we can do our best. We can parent our best. We can try to create the perfect environment for our kids. But the outcome lies with God. The outcome is God's. It's not based on our own human efforts. So while it's tempting to be prideful when things go well, like with parenting, it's simply foolish pride to think that it's solely because of what we did and nothing else. Because I'm going to be completely honest with you today. I'm a, I'm a parent. My wife and I have two amazing kids. Uh, and for the last eight plus years, we've been raising these kids to the best of our ability. And I've come to know one thing as absolute certain. Like, I know this to be true. I, I'm going to take this to the bank. Like, it is absolute certain parenting tip right here that I've learned. And it's this. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and if you have cracked the code at per- perfect parenting, please come up here and, and preach because I don't, I don't belong up here. Like, absolutely not. No, don't come up here because, again, if, you, if, if someone says I've cracked the code at parenting, they don't know what they're talking about either. <laughs> they really don't. There are just way too many variables that come into play 
when raising kids. And all we can do is to do our best. And the final outcome ultimately is out of our hands. And when things do go well, our natural reaction should be one of gratitude, not of pride. So Proverbs aren't promises, all right? And it's a myth or it's fan fiction that a godly home guarantees godly kids. Then that begs the question, what then are we supposed to do? Why even bother trying to be intentional about the way that we raise kids? Here's the thing. Even though the environment we create does not guarantee or promise the outcomes we desire, we still have a job to do. Because Proverbs aren't promises, but they are wise statements. God-inspired wise statements written down for us to read and to learn from and to grow in. So while they're not promises, they are something we should be looking at and saying, okay, what is the wise thing to do here? So being intentional about the environment we create for our family still matters and is wise. So we, before we close our time out here today, I just, I'd like to lay a couple things out for us to think about, things that we can do and really should do because it's the wise thing to do. And because people like Ken need to know the truths of the gospel. Uh, they need to know the love of God. People like Ken, people like our kids, the next generation, people who are searching and doubting and trying to figure out what is true need a community that's creating environments for them in our homes and in our churches to help them explore truth. So parents, uh, parents, I'm just talking to you right now. I'm gonna be talking to parents, uh, grandparents, you're included in this, foster parents, step parents, <clears throat> whoever, you know, if you're in a parenting capacity, I'm talking to you. You may think that you have little to no influence in your kid's life, but that is far from the truth. Parents, study after study show that you are the number one influence in a kid's life, even during the teenage years. And, and if you do the math, in one year, you have roughly 5,840 hours in a year to influence your kid's life, to show them what it looks like to be a Christ follower, to be somebody who is a disciple of Jesus, somebody who knows the Bible and, and responds to the good news of Jesus. 5,840 hours to influence their faith. Now, don't worry. That does not mean you need to leave here today, parents, and go create 5,840 hours worth of Bible studies for your kids. That's not what you need to be doing right now because the, the top of the list, the most important thing you can do to influence your children's faith development during those 5,000 plus hours is to simply Talk about what God is doing in your life. How are you responding to God's love? What are you learning as you read God's word each day? It seems counterintuitive, but on the car ride home from church today, 
it's far more impactful for you to share what you learned and what you experienced in a church service than for you to look at your teenager and say, what'd you learn at church today? By you processing faith and sharing what God is doing in your life, you are modeling to your kids. You're modeling to Ken what faith and growing as a disciple looks like in real life. You see, by simply talking about your own faith and responding to God's love for you in front of your kids, you're helping them grow. You're helping them to develop a faith that is resilient. So maybe this week, it could look like, it could look like you as a family engaging in some of the spiritual disciplines Pastor Rex has talked about over the last few weeks. Maybe it looks like you going home and, and talking about where appropriate what God is doing in your life right now with your kids. It's a wise practice. It's a biblical practice of being a disciple and modeling discipleship. And it's what's going to create better environments that will help the next generation explore faith for themselves. It is our sacred responsibility to raise our kids. I love this Billy Graham quote. Uh, he said about parenting, God has given you one of the greatest privileges imaginable, the privilege of helping to shape the future of another human being. We just don't have a guarantee of the outcome. So you're sitting here today and thinking, this is great. We're talking about parenting. Okay, I'm not a parent. I don't have plans to become a parent anytime soon. This has nothing to do with me. And I will say this oh so politely to you. You are dead wrong. Because while godly parenting still matters, godly community matters as well. So church family, I'm talking to you. And Half Moon, I, we've heard, you've heard this recently at Half Moon, so just bear with me because, and maybe this is just a good reminder for all of us, because we need a five-to-one ratio for every Ken. We need a five-to-one ratio for every one of our kids. A five-to-one ratio for anyone who is searching and exploring faith. Well, what do I mean by that? Five adults impacting every one child. We need five people pouring into the lives of everyone who's exploring faith. Uh, research has shown that that is a good ratio. That's a ratio that can help develop resilient faith. Five people pouring into every person. Uh, we see this ratio take place in small groups when people come together in community to grow and to learn and to support each other in an intimate community environment. We see this ratio take place when people serve together in ministries inside and outside the church. When guys get together for accountability, ladies grab coffee and study the scripture together. We see this when people are serving in GF Youth and Kid Venture, pouring into the next generation. So what if a parent is not a Christ follower? Does that five-to-one ratio still apply? And yes, here's the good news. Research shows that when parents or guardians in some way can't or don't provide spiritual influence for their kids, other role models can take the place of influence in their lives. 
church community, that's you. That's you coming alongside our kids, our students, the next generation, people searching for God to influence them and to model to them what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. So church family, maybe this week, if you don't, if you don't have kids, maybe this week you can ask yourself, how am I pouring into the next generation? What does it look like for me who I don't have, you know, people directly with me, but like, how can I choose to do this? Because it's a wise statement. It's a godly statement for the church body to come alongside parents, families, and kids to invest into them, to help them have a resilient and lasting faith. So maybe you're serving a adventure. Maybe you need to be serving in GF Youth. Maybe you just need to be available to where God has you to be open to share the love of Christ with someone around you. See, church family, if you're in Christ, this is a wise practice. This is a biblical practice to help see Ken and to help see our kids hold on to faith long term. Now, you might say parenting is hard, and you would be 100% correct. C.S. Lewis says this, it's not your job or it's not your business to succeed, but to do right. When you have done so, the rest lies with God. That's such a great quote. And as we close out, I'd love to, to kind of land there and really like land at two things. Proverbs aren't promises and a godly home does not guarantee godly kids. It's not a promise. And also to acknowledge that God is the God of outcomes. We're just called to be faithful. God is the God of outcomes. We're just called to continue to walk forward and do what he has called us to do. So imagine what it could look like as a church community if we really leaned into the wisdom of Proverbs 22.6, understanding it's not a promise, it's not a guarantee, but what if we walked out our faith? What if we grew in our own discipleship what if we showed the next generation what it looks like to follow Jesus? What if we were intentional about that? What if we as non-parents came alongside parents and families, came alongside people who are searching for truth? What if we saw this five to one ratio take place? I think, I think it'd be crazy what we see. I think we would see so much life change and healthy discipleship and people like Ken would hold on to their faith long-term because Ken's worth it, because your kids are worth it, because our community is worth it. At the end of the day, it's not our job to trust wholly, or it is our job, it is our job to trust wholly and completely in God's plan and God's purpose. We're not in charge of outcomes. God is. We get to be faithful. And I hope you join us next week as we continue in this series, kind of 
unpacking the real myths that a lot of solid Christians tend to believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and what you've given to us. We praise you that you are sovereign over all. I got it. When we stop to think about it, that's a scary thing. It's actually somewhat threatening when we think about our kids and our families. We have so little control. And yet, it's also eternally comforting. Because while I can't keep my own life together, I must rest in who you are and what you've done through Christ. Lord, I ask that you clear our vision to help us see your truth and to receive your comfort each and every day as we parent, as we lead, and as we disciple. Amen.